Good evening, good morning, good night, and hello. Hello. We're back again with the Just a Couple of Bagels podcast. Hopefully you're not asleep already. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. I'm Tom. I'm Sam. Back again. How are we? Yeah, I'm alright. Bit tired today, actually. I noticed. Well, I'll let you in on a little bit of a background secret. As I came to record this, a certain someone was asleep. Yes. And you woke up with very, very bad bed. Yes, but I have had a haircut. We both had haircuts, so we're a little bit lighter. Yes, a lot lighter. I lost a few stones after this has been all chopped. Felt the wind on my skin. <laughs> yeah. Which is nice, though. How's coaching been this week? Um, good. Um, so we've got going some new, got some new clients in, which is always fun. I noticed that you got a few new private lessons. New, time. yeah, which is always a bit, always a bit interesting getting new, new clients in. What the characters like? I'm, I'm interested to hear. That one is great. It's like really interesting character, but like very just. They've got a big character about him. Mm. Very loud and stuff. But you know he's, he tr- he tries and he's a half decent player. He plays squash. Ah, so he's got he's, he's got a very, very sort of flappy. And like I tried to obviously try and get it out of them, but he's like, like I say he's like forty years old, so like old habits die hard. So like it's very like when I'm there reminding him when it's all slip, it's fine. But as soon as he's like a match at the end. That's all habit as well, God. <laughs> I think that's that's natural for most people. Though. Yeah, taking it a hard shot though. To be fair, I was hearing because you were on. I think you were on the court next to me. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I couldn't see what was happening, but I could hear a lot of thuds. <laughs> yeah, the guy was a, a bit big grunter, which I find a funny thing. You know, coaching a massive grunter. I like it. <laughs> it was like having a rare sharp over on court. It's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, except it wasn't a rare sharp over. <laughs> that's very true. Um, this week's been oh, quite enjoyed this week actually there's been quite a few decent hits in there yeah people are sort of get. I think this is the point now because they've been at it they've had a few lessons now and they're sort of back into the swing of things so yeah. people who I'd usually have hit with are sort of they've reached that level they were pre-lockdown yeah so there's a little bit more yeah. free and they're moving through a little bit dusted more dusted the cobwebs off the racket dusted yeah. the cobwebs off taken the rust off them whatever you want yeah. to call it exactly Shall we have a look what's been going on in the tennising world? Yeah, mm-hmm. start off with uh, the man himself, Roger. Father time. Yes. He's had, I believe it was, he's had knee surgery and he had two operations. Right. And from all accounts, both of them went well. That's good news. I think, but he has confirmed, he did confirm that he wouldn't play the rest of 2020. He'd hopefully be back for 2021. Okay, I mean, that's a good target to fair. I think he's not missing out much in 20. 20 anyway now no and I think a lot of people would probably be quite reluctant to do a lot of tournaments I think you know from what I was reading Halep is very wary of going back to the US Open yes. serving you know more people are joining the wariness group than the wanted to play group so could be interesting but hopefully he recovers quick and we see I mean he sounds positive because he was quoted of saying it has definitely been a big moment for me with the coronavirus and two operations I've had on my knee and I've had to consider if I really want to keep going in my career. He went on to say, it is easy for me to say that I do right now, but in the long road back, and I have to be patient with my recovery. So I think basically, basically what he's saying there is, at the moment in time, still want to keep playing. Yeah. And it's basically as long as the body holds up, he's going to keep going, he still enjoys it. And that's the main thing. Hopefully getting back to Wimbledon next year. I reckon, I reckon we could get another... A couple of seasons. I would say... I'd quite like two. We can get two. We can get two more years of Roger. And one more slam, more victory. Ooh, one more slam. 
Because it's, it's tight now in the slams. Because Federer's on 20, Rafa's on 19, and Novak's on 17, I believe. And they're all grouping up. It's good. Which just makes... when cause I, Do you remember when... Um, I remember when Pete Sampras was lauded for having 14 slams. Yeah. And it's like, oh, there's, no one's going to beat this. No one's got this. The thing is, this time around, I just don't think anyone's going to beat 20. Well, unless, like, except for the main three. Because no one else has any... <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> That's very true. And uh, unfortunately, I don't think Andy's going to be getting anywhere near a slam. Andy's not going to get anywhere near that amount. But it might, I don't. If he could get back to where he was, maybe he'd win another one. I reckon one, one more, and I'd be quite happy. I think that's. I'd love to see one more than again, but I'd also like to see him win another one. Like I'd like him. I like him. Yeah, the Australian because he's been to quite a few finals. Yeah. But then he's also been to the final of the French as well. I don't think he can win on clay anymore because of how long it longer on the matches last now. I know he's yeah. a tank. Like, he's obviously really fit, but I don't know how long his hip will hold out for. No, I understand that. So I think I think Aussie Open for him. Same, same for like Pedro. Obviously, yeah. the only way he's going to win now is on grass. Quick, get it over and done with. Plays is too too long. Yeah, and I think yeah, I think that's I think we've definitely seen the last of Roger at Roland Garros. Definitely, I don't. Yeah, I'd imagine so. I think he'd get back. It's Same not point. worth. It's not worth it. He needs to be like Serena and just pick and choose his tournaments. To be fair, they've he's started. I think him and Rafa have started doing that quite well. I think yeah. Novak's still in the point where he just goes for pretty much most. He wants win. He wants number one. I think they've. The thing is with like Roger and Rafa, they both recognised that. They are slowing the down, and they don't need to be. They don't need that number one title anymore. They'd no. rather have a slam. Than a, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at the end of the day, you're judged on what you've won. Yeah, I think Djokovic still wants that. Which is fair. I think he's, he's younger, isn't he? So he is. I think he's just a little bit younger than Rafa. Him and Rafa are a similar age. Yeah, so only about a year or so, I think, in between them. Yeah. So other yeah. things that come out. Speaking on the professional game, um, new male ranking formats. Yeah, I read about this. Um, interesting one. It is quite interesting. So what it was before is they took the 18 best results from 12 months and it's now going to be 22 months. Is that permanent now? Or is that... Uh, I didn't look into it as much to say if it was going to be permanent. I think this is more to sort of help with Corona and help just so there's yeah. a little bit more fluidity with the rankings. And yes. Just give people the opportunity to improve their ranking yeah. still in these very funny times. Um, the only other thing is that they can't count the same tournament twice. So if Rafa won the French again, you can't have two French Open yeah, results. They can only have one. Yeah, then that makes sense. And I'm guessing they'll probably take the best one. Yes. Uh, the only th- uh, the LT- uh, the WTA, I should say, uh, are yet to announce its system, but I would have thought it'd be fairly similar. You'd hope so. I think the rankings need to be quite similar. Across the board, it's where they need to emerge. Yeah, it's where we said in the last podcast, where they just need to sort of just get together and yeah, because it get, it probably gets a little bit confusing, especially from a spectator or a fan's point of view. Yeah, having two different sets of rules. Like, oh, why are you doing this in one? Yeah, exactly. You're doing this in another. Yeah, no, really, yeah, makes sense. Hundred percent. And I think that's it's been quite a slow week, really, for tennis news. There hasn't really been nothing too. Big. So Fedra is the biggest bit. Yes. Um, quite a few. I did notice quite a few people came to Djokovic's defence for his little tournament. Okay, I haven't seen that. Uh, I think Boris Becker was quite vocal in standing by him. Okay. And I think I believe the 
Prime Minister, President, I'm not sure what it is in Serbia, came and tried to sort of deflect some of the blame onto himself. That ended up well for him, didn't it? Well, he was the, it was by saying he was the one who sort of authorised it and said it was all right to go ahead with it, so... Then they raided Parliament. <laughs> right, should we get on to the main topic of the podcast? Uh, yes. So the main topic this week is we're going is titled The Evolution of Tennis. So we're going to look back about how tennis started, how it's evolved over the years, and maybe where it's going to end up in the future. <laughs> So we'll cover how it started, we'll cover different how technique has changed, how equipment has changed, clothing, court surface. And we might have a little we might have a little think about how coaching's changed. Yeah. And where we see it's going. So it'll be a lot of little facts in this. So let's go with so we'll start of how it started. So tennis um, early versions of tennis was started over a thousand years ago and they started in French monasteries by monks yes. so just have that image of your head of monks playing tennis <laughs> I've just got a funny image of Friar Tuck out of Robin Hood playing tennis it's, yeah most um, they played with the hands not rackets yes it's a very different version of the game very which to be fair is to be fair we do do a little I know I do a little bit of that with Teaching kids how to we play. Have to, we used to have pa- hand paddles. Yes. Like they put the ha- little kids with hands in yes. it. Yes. That's actually really incredible. We use, I use them all the time for the little reds. I think that's re- that's a really good way of getting them to understand how the racket face should be when you're hitting the ball. I think that's quite yeah. good. Um, then it progressed a little bit when we get into more into the Tudor times in England, uh, yes. where they used more leather bouncy balls and they started playing with rackets and this was predominantly done by sort of higher class people. You can't yeah, so cool. Henry VIII was really into it, wasn't he? I was about to say, he's, he was quite a, sounds like a very avid tennis player. Henry VIII was a very avid sports player. It was only in his later years that he turned into the fat geezer that he became. Then going on, a gentleman named Walter Clopton Wingfield invented balls and rackets that we would traditionally use now yes of how they looked and what have you um going on to that um he had a format for it and that wasn't picked up that's one of the things that sort of died away and the other thing that he had that sort of died away was um the shape of the tennis court okay. if you imagine sort of like an hourglass shape but a very sort of boxy hourglass yeah. shape that was that was his design for a tennis court, and just trying to imagine playing on that oh, wow. is quite a weird, surreal. That'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to play on it now. I reckon you could probably mark it out and have a go. Oh, yeah. Um, but then when it started, the way that it sort of the game that we know today came in was the game and the format were sort of thrown away, but the idea of it. Um, came to a little croquet club in London and they needed a way to sort of raise money for new equipment so they thought oh we'll put on a tournament with this game which turned out to be tennis Uh, the club then decided to host it in a place called Wimbledon Ah, so you can see (laughs) you can see where I'm going with this yeah yeah, so we've already mentioned the club rejected the rules and court shape that went on but it just grew from there, and I'm pretty sure that the rules that we use today are the ones that the All England Club came up with then. There's not really been much change with them. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. 
So you've got there's your nice little backstory of how tennis has gone from hitting a ball over with your hands to what it is now. Yeah, incredible. Speaking so from our personal experience, I don't. Would you say it's changed much from being a little kid? Hmm. No, I think it's exactly in terms of the game itself, it's mm. exactly the same. If you ask someone who's like forty years old, fifty years old, yeah, hugely. There's probably a little bit more. Yeah, I think obviously we're I've been taught baseline rally ever since I started, you know, playing. I think you ask an older person and they'll say, Yeah, seven volley, obviously. You watch all the other videos, Becca, McEnroe, seven volley, seven volley. Which is because um, I told you this. I watched, um, I think it was the 1977 ladies final um, when Virginia Wade uh, won. Yeah. And it was, every point was serve and volley, no matter what the yeah, court crazy, position yeah. was, or what, whether it was a first serve or a second serve. I think the game was a lot slower, wasn't it, in terms of the ball moved slow for the air. Uh, mm. Obviously, you couldn't get as much whip on the rack, with the racket. No. So you time to get into the net. Obviously, as, as we got onto the equipment changed, the ball changed, people changed. <laughs> Definitely. Um, you know, base round and round. Coming into the net, every point wasn't possible. The ball was always past you, so, you know, baseline rallies became a thing. Which is where we're at today. I don't think it can advance much more. Really? You don't think? Because if you look, I remember there's quite a few. If you go on YouTube and look at quite quite a few coaching things, some of them do like the evolution of like a forehand or a backhand. Yeah. Which I looked at quite a lot doing some research for this, and it is quite interesting. Couldn't find the evolution of a two-handed backhand. The one-hander was quite easy to find, but the two-hander I struggled with finding. I think the same English, but I think there's only so far as we can progress. There's only so many variations mm. the forehand we can get. We obviously have the WCA forehand and the ATP forehand. Yeah, one's a little bit more compact, the other one is a little bit more... The women's one, I mean, I don't even go drag the women's one, it's actually insane, like... You, know, how you bring you, your elbow into your body. Yeah, yeah into your body, but your, your racket goes a lot back, goes further back around your body, and it's a massive slap into the ball, obviously, yeah, arm bent, slap into the ball here, right into your... Mm. Um, you know, into your stomach. And then we'll try it. I was on a course with like it's like teaching the women's game. Which originally went on find this gonna be ridiculously exactly the same. So different. Like oh, yeah. the biomechanics and everything in the woman, you just don't think about it. And yeah, they said, Okay, obviously the, the girls who were there were doing it fine, but then the men came up to try all these forehands. Mm-hmm. The power, yeah, but like couldn't control it. It went everywhere. Well, I remember when I sat into um I sat in in a um private lesson with a performance player. Um, and she was a very good little girl and we were, work, we were working on the surf um, and she kept raising her heels up yeah. as she went to go and surf right, so okay. both heels went up so if you, it's very much like um, if you ever watch Dominic T when he goes to throw the ball up and he comes up he'll go on to his, the balls of his feet yeah Um and the coach I was sitting in with just got to stopping it completely because she couldn't drive through and get any power on it. Yeah. And I said, I see quite a few boys doing that. Is that, is that a problem for them? She goes, not as much just because of the way they're built. Yeah. And the strength that they have in the legs, especially the lower legs, because if you lift your legs up, you're engaging your calves. Yeah, they say your calves, yeah. So it's, there's a lot, a lot of differences. Yeah, there is. So the band mechanics is, is ridiculous. Then he said there's one shot that we we got we did this the one stores one shot women play a lot more often and men probably never play it it's a squat and the hit oh. a girl a, you see Joe Conta do it a lot 
Yes, where she's almost sinks. She's basically right. sinking. Like, I remember this, this YouTube division that does it all the time. They're literally on their arse hitting a shot. But apparently, like, men can't do it as well as women. So men don't play that shot. Oh. We, we, we wouldn't naturally go to do it. But women would. You'd have to teach a man to do it. And it probably wouldn't be effective. But a woman, you don't, won't teach it. in natural kind of biomechanical thing. That's quite surprising. I quite like that, playing that shot. <laughs> See, I, don't, I, I was thinking, yeah, I didn't play that shot. I've never, I've never thought about how low they get, you know. I get low, but I'm never in squat position while playing this shot. But yeah, if you look at women, they'll like dress, dress you Joe Conta and say you No, I've, de- I've definitely seen it in Joe Conta where she's literally got both knees on the ground yeah. and she hits these shots. Yeah, so it's, again, that's a, it's a different... Okay, got back into women in tennis, but yeah. Never got back into it. Right, let's sort of steer back into it again. Yeah. So, going back to our own experience in the change in tennis, I suppose the biggest change is kids' tennis, where we were sort of... I know definitely from Michael and looking into it, we must have been one of the earliest to have mini tennis. I never had it because I didn't start playing until I was 12. No, and when I started playing, I played in Spain with yellow balls. What do you think of the idea of mini tennis? Um, I th- I like the idea. I think I think you could get rid of orange. I hate orange. You don't like orange? I hate orange balls. I don't think they play right at all. They're just flat and awful and disgusting. I like green. Green's great. Like I think you can use I use green with adults because it slows down the game. I think it's really good. Red's good, obviously, for little kids. Yeah, I think it's the gap between red and green. Obviously, you can't put a, a small kid onto full full green ball. But I don't think the way orange balls play are that good. They're very flat. They don't do much in the air. It's just a bit. I just don't think it's a very good progression. Yeah, I think it's a filler. It's used as a filler, but I think that it maybe. Use green if you have to. I wouldn't miss orange if I could. I'd probably skip orange out. And maybe maybe I'd another year of red, and then another year of green. I'm not a big fan of orange. Okay. For people who don't know, so the mini tennis system was intru- introduced in two thousand and one, um, and they categorised it into three groups. So you had red, orange, green. Red being the lowest, so that's for pretty much your introduction to tennis yeah. as a kid, so that's sort of your age is four, coming up to, I think, maximum was about sort of seven or eight. Yeah. Which you then use, I think it's, roughly it's used about a quarter of a full-size tennis court with a little mini net over yeah. it. Then you progress onto orange. Yeah. Which is your sort of your eight, eight to nine age group. Yeah. And that's when you're using about three quarters of a singles court. The net's obviously lower. Lower. Uh, and then you progress on to green, which is your nine and tens. Uh, that's where you're using a full singles court, but that court's the same for doubles as well, so you won't use the tram lines in green for no. doubles. It's yeah. completely the same. And then obviously they move on to, to full, full yellow. Yeah. Um, I quite like it. I definitely like it from teaching proper technique. I think it's quite good with the different stages of balls. Um, what I don't like is waiting for a person to hit a certain age to progress them on. I think that's the little bit. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think. I think there should be a lot more sort of relaxed rules if the person wants to progress on to another one. Because I know I've definitely seen people who, sometimes in the opposite, where they've sort of, they've been shunted up a group just because. Far too soon. Yeah. Yeah, I get that all the time. You get that a lot. I think you get that that more than you do the other way around yeah when people sort of want to move up yeah I think unless you've got a really really good bunch of kids but um, yeah I think you obviously I get you know like kids especially when I was working at university where 
the program was great, but it just turns it was literally your age is why you got moved up, and you get a new class in, and you, well, you get your same class, but you have another kid come from who's in the in like the last holiday season has now it's now older, and he's joined our group from like an orange group or a yeah. lighter group, and they're just so far behind. Especially because they're not moving up as a group, they're not moved up as their group. We'll no, it's handpicked. Like, okay, you're how old now? Eight. Okay, you're now in this group. Like, they're still so far behind. Yeah, I don't think you should definitely not go on age with these. Now. Yeah, you should you go off ability. Yeah, definitely. If the person is say six years old, and this is just hypothetically, if they're six years old, but the the red's too easy, it's stagnating them. They've got two years there. Yeah. That they could get used to. And to be fair, once they get used to one ball, they'll end up moving on to the next one anyway. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose the other good thing about it with teaching good technique is it stops bad habits because I know because when you see like people hitting in Spain because it wasn't as predominantly used in Spain. Yeah. They were using yellow balls with the ball bouncing more and you've got such a small child. They'll get used to hitting the ball. See, I got used to taking a really high ball very quickly mm. which is fair not as good at anymore cause I, I did that sort of affect your grip did you have quite like a really 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 really, really I remember when I came back and started playing properly in England I tried to use a western grip that I was pretty much not at all in Spain but I naturally had to do mm. and then you had to play with it when the Austria with the ball doesn't bounce it's wet yeah playing to play I was like I can't get the ball out of the net what's happening I'm hitting the ball down my feet but what is all this like it's pretty different um, so say yeah now my grip so I play semi western and to that, my, my high shots I'm not as good at anymore I kind of lost it playing in England what's your grip now? same, same Western is it something so I, 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 could I coach obviously I had to coach at Eastern because mm. I think you know obviously I to try and rally same Western at a really kind of slow pace from an adult I've always struggled with because it gets oh, right. a massive kick no matter what I'm cleaning up behind the ball and putting a lot of tops on it and you don't accelerate with the ball obviously no and a lot of, I think a lot you can't I can, if I've got a really good player on the other end not a really good player, but a better player who's got a ability, maybe younger, then yeah, I can use my Surrey Weston. But I've got like a 50-year-old guy there who's only ever played against a slicer or a flat hitter. Mm. And I call him my Surrey Weston grip, which naturally... You add that introduction of speed, it pans them off. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I remember the first time, like, the guy, what are you doing? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you put him really where spin on the ball. And I was like... What? But I'm not. <laughs> I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing any. And that was as a young coach. I'm like, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just hitting you. I'm just rallying with you. He went, the ball is bouncing differently. And I'm like, right, okay. So then I had to like, I started trying to use my. I had to learn to rally Eastern grip, which for me is just, it still feels unnatural today when I do it. I know what you mean, and I, I do it with certain people as well, where you you almost change a game. Just make it a little bit easier for the person, especially when rallying. You're trying to incorporate yeah. something that you've learned, say with a basket feed and putting it into an open drill. Yeah. You wouldn't hit with all this heavy topspin. No. Maybe put a little bit of topspin, like say what you say we're using. Yeah, so I never, I never chop it back to them. No. But yeah, I, I, if I go say Western, I think naturally from using that grip, you're gonna have a lot of spin coming off that ball. So I think what you want to try and do, and I do this, because when you get, and this was a thing that I hated going back to from previous podcasts with the level three is you don't get taught different feeds you just literally do flat feed yeah there's no variation and then when I sat in with the coach he basically did right if you do a basket basket with just random feeds I can it gets them used to all these different so I can spin from basket I can feed different spins yeah I learned that I actually learned that in Spain that's cool. When I went to coach out in there in Spain, they taught me all these different. And my favourite one, 
I remember them t- doing it to me as a kid, but you, on a clay court, you take your basket back because you need room, your western grip, and you feed it into the ground, like, literally straight in. Mm. It, it kicks up from your ground, hits, like, their service line, jolts into them, <laughs> like, a proper topspin, like, kind of shot that's mm. going out of them. Because to get the full spin out of your hands is pretty difficult. If you hit it hard with a spin off the ground, shoots into them. So you want to, like, teach a kid. It does work in Astro. But really, that's unclear. You want to teach oh, a kid how to effect, effectively hit against a topspin shot from a feed, hit it into the ground, then let it bounce again on their side, and it will literally kick into them. Oh. But it's incredible. Um, they told me all that, and then yeah, so I'm quite good for my hand teach, like using different grips. But when it comes to rallying, naturally, I always want to go back to that same western. But yeah, what do you, what grip do you use? I've got a semi western. I used to. I muddled around with it I, once. I went. From, full west and then I went back to sort of an east and one but now I've sort of it was almost in between it was in between an eastern and a semi-western yeah is what I had before and I've made it a little bit more semi-western okay yeah. and just changed my technique a little bit more and it's worked quite well actually coaching I, think my... I think it's actually pretty perfect somewhere there's a picture of me literally as a little kid in Spain with my full western Ooh. yeah proper, I'm looking proper action shot yeah and I was looking out thinking oh my god how did I get my hand around that position how did I get the ball over the net you're trying to do it now in Astro, it's just like, what the hell's happening? Well, this is the thing, you probably would never ever get taught that at all if you were doing this system. Especially now, because they've added another one in, which has come from Belgium, which is blue. Yeah. Uh, which I've tried at, tried at David Lloyd's. Uh, and to be fair, it was it's part of the David Lloyd system, but... You're supposed to, it's a bit small, the court is smaller, yeah. and the balls they use are a little, I think they're a little bit bigger, and they bounce a little bit more, they're covered in this weird blue paint, which right. is supposed to stop kids like picking, because David Law is an indoor centre, you use it's sponge funny. balls, it stops them picking at them and right. ruining the balls. Yeah, eating the balls. Eating the balls. <laughs> <laughs> um... The one good thing I do like about mini tennis is the different if the different racket sizes. I think. I think it helps. Yeah, definitely. I think a different size. That helps, especially with stopping injuries and stuff. Yeah. yeah, having the right a racket. Good light size. racket always does help. Well, now I'm guessing what you probably had when. You but I had my sister's old Prince racket. Full. Oh, I'm guessing it's probably a more than 300 gram racket. Probably was. Well, it was probably was about 300, but not. I didn't have any other graphene. It was probably like old. Not like this is old old racket from like the 80s. Like steel. Steel. Forged. Uh, yeah. Forged in shape. Massive head and it was like bigger than me almost. <laughs> I remember everyone. I used to be the the. I used like the colourful racket. It had every string was a different colour. Oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Do you remember your first racket? What was that? Like well, the first one you own, not like sort what, of. What uh, Roger Federer's Wilson racket? Uh, obviously <laughs> you see I can go down because you started playing tennis when you were 12 I think I started I think it was roughly when I was about 4 Yeah. so I went through I don't re- do you know what I remember red definitely remember red orange and green don't really remember then I just remember going straight to yeah so my, full, my first full size racket so the first racket I had was 26 inch that's when I came back to England I think mine was a twi- mine was a 21 inch it was had like a gradient blue, a metallic blue to <laughs> silver. Right. And it was endorsed by Pete Sampras. Okay. That shows how old it was. Yeah. I remember that. Um, to go on, what was your full, first full? It was a babble I think it was Aero Light. I think mine was, I don't know, what was mine? 
Mine was a baba, but I think it, was, it had a funny name. I think it was, I think it was like called an uh, E Drive or something. Okay, yeah. It was quite. A, it and looked head, really I mean, nice. Big head, mine was. I remember like looking back then. I didn't re- I didn't really know, but like looking back at it now, big big head. Was it like plus a hundred square inch? Yeah, it's huge. Like no proper big. Um, so yeah, I was and now I hope head. Love my heads. See, I, I migrated, so I started with Wilson, I went, first one was that Wilson Pete Sampras one, then I had one endorsed by Roger Federer, it's that classic sort of red with white. Yeah. Um, then I went over to Babolat, I think I had one, I had two Babolat rackets, then for some reason I went into Dunlop. Interesting. Don't, don't ask how that came up. Um, then I went, then I went, then I came back into Wilson. Uh, and had the pro staff, and now I'm back on the blade. Because I dabbled. I do that under the blade. So yeah, I think when I ever go with next rackets, I'll be never head, but I might venture to Wilson, just because I do love the blade. I'm hearing good things about Yonix. Yonix, yeah, we almost went through like a good. They were, I think a few years ago they came out and they still the square racket. Oh yeah. And everyone's like, what, what is this square racket thing? Because I know a couple of coaches who. Play tested them and they I actually just, really like them. I played tested um, Kyrgios as your next. What did you think? Really good, incredibly good. See, when you think of you always when you always think of the racket, you always think of the player they're associated with. Yeah. The trouble is, is that's not usually what yeah, the racket is. Yeah, I know. I don't actually know what the racket's called. I just remember saying. I remember I went to the. They've all got funny names. Yeah, I went. To, it was a skips, and I was trying to get out of my club. And they had, I think it was like a Yonex test center. I think it's done lot now, but they had a load of Yonexes. Oh yeah, just try out whatever back racket you want. We just got this one in. This one Kyrgios uses a lot, all right? Okay. See, and it's actually—I mean, obviously it's not Kyrgios' actual racket, but whatever was in there, I liked it. Played really well. Let's say Yannick. I think to be fair, Dunlop have really good rackets as well. Dunlop have improved quite a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah. I think the obviously shit is not endorsed by the player, but to be fair, um, Kevin Anderson is Kevin the Anderson, and to be fair, Rizvanska when she was playing ah, was Dunlop, yeah. and I think Kyle Watson was Dunlop for quite a while. Well, mm. she went to Babylon. So again, yeah, there are players who use it. They're not bad rackets. You'll find that they have probably the exact same qualities in them, but um, they're just not endorsed by the big players. Well, I mean, going going back to think of it on a racket point of view, having the mini tennis there, it's been brilliant for them because kids will outgrow a racket now. It's not like you have a racket and you sort of stick with it until it's dead. Exactly. You start with the twenty one inch, then as you get a little bit older, twenty three and twenty five, and then you're on to your twenty six, twenty seven inch rackets. Kid there has had five rackets. Oh, it's incredibly fun. I mean, to be fair, I think a lot of parents fork out a lot of on rackets at an early age, which is fine. But you don't need to. It doesn't matter. All no, you, you can get. Ha- I reckon if you've got the Saturn rackets are actually quite good for main main tennis. Uh-huh. Look, they're only like twenty five quid. For like you know, each one progressing through to twenty six, then they go to, and then when you go to twenty seven, you have fork out a little bit more for your. You full size one, that's fair enough. But I think go for junior, unless you're playing day in, day out, playing tournaments. Get up on the, the cheaper ones. Always, that's what I recommend to parents. Yeah, I mean, I've I had one who's moved, he's moved up from a 21 inch to a 23 inch. Yeah. Which was a weird coasting experience because I hit three balls from me, completely missed all three of them, just from having a different racket size. Yeah. He just found it so weird. But as you say, if, if the kid likes the paint job on the racket, You've usually got them sold anyway. They don't really care sort of sure. the balance of it and all that sort of lot. Um, but the funny thing from actually with the first sort of glimpses of mini tennis, 
um, was in 1985, um, where they had a thing that was called short tennis, which was predominantly played inside yeah. with sponge balls and with plastic rackets. Oh. So they have a short tennis for that now, don't they? Yeah. But not in plastic tennis rackets. Yeah, it's not, because that's weird. I've seen, I know I've def, I've used a plastic tennis racket before. Yeah. Because it was just, that it was the smallest thing I'd ever seen. Right. Smallest tennis racket I'd ever seen in my life. And it was, to put it bluntly, crap. Yeah, I imagine. But now, because technology's come on different materials, now you can get a pretty light racket that isn't made out of plastic. It's probably made out of graphite or a very light metal. Is some, you get, it's pretty, you get some, I think Babylon have a lot of like the like good graphene small rackets, 21 they have. Re, do you know what? I didn't realise they have a really wide range of rackets. Yeah. And then there's the famous, the head one that every woman over the age of 60 and 70 uses. Have you seen it? The mass, it's got a massive uh, That way, like, yeah, it's very, Ray. very thin at the bottom and it goes in a pretty way. It goes like that. Yeah. It's a massive loop and massive they, loop, yeah. biggest sweet spot ever. Yeah. But I th- Awful looking there. I'm pretty sure that is the biggest, uh, more no, best selling racket in England. Oh, that's tragic. <laughs> It's an awful, awful racket. I hate it. I hate it when I see people use them. It's... I don't, handle, I don't know if it's because the head is so big on it, but the handle looks tiny. I think it's the head. The head is massive, and it just gives you that sweet spot, yeah. which means you hit it cleanly most of the time. The only problem is you won't be able to direct it as much just because that sweet spot. power as well. That sweet spot's so big. Yeah. Uh, which is that's quite a nice little point. We've sort of sort of migrated into the change of equipment, which we've slightly touched upon. Yeah. Um, and what I want to find you is I found this. I'll, I'll do a Jeremy Clarkson. I went on the internet and I found this. <laughs> um, it was quite a good evolution of, the evolution of the tennis racket. So you see how it started. Jesus, that's a bent racket. <laughs> so the first one, because we can't, you can't see this obviously. If you imagine a classic racket, this, it looks like the shape of a kidney. So the head, <laughs> yeah. the head of the racket looks like the shape of a kidney. Yes. Uh, and that's what they obviously started. Because have you ever played with a wooden racket before? Yeah. What did you think? Strange. I, su- <laughs> I surprisingly liked it. I didn't like it. I hate every single minute of it. Well, we... Um... I understand why you didn't want to have long rallies with them. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Um, there's two, because... When I go on when I go on my um, UK holiday, uh, we go down to Wales, and there's two where we stayed. There's two wooden rackets, right? There, uh, and we use the gate that we get into a sort of a makeshift net and just right, yeah. rally over that. And it, it is it's weird. I get how you feel, but to be fair, the balance is really good on it. Oh right. The balance of it is. I never tried the balance. I just picked it up and. Well, because you think if you can think about it, instead of there being like a sort of throat of the racket, the throat of the racket is just yeah, it's straight, yeah, yeah, just straight wood. Because my coach's racket, he he, only go with it. Strange, very strange. But I I enjoy it, and you get a lot flex, so you get the feel of the ball on it. Yeah, but you hit it bad. Oh, you know, yeah, because the rack. Because I don't even want to guess what the inch size of the racket head is. Yeah. But the sweet spot is tiny, where you. As you say, the game had to be different because you didn't have that bigger sweet spot, so yeah. you didn't hit the ball as consistently in the same place. Yeah, you just had to get the point over as quick as possible. 
other things. Court, what do you think of court surface? Because I know a lot of people saying previous times you had your clays, you had your grass and you had your hard court and there was sort of a very big difference. You had a very fast grass courts, you had very slow clay courts and you sort of had the hard courts were a little bit in the middle. Yeah, I think you've got that now, but it's not as effective, it's not as big. Clay is not as slow as it used to be and grass isn't as quick as it used to be. No. If so, they've, they've made all the courts pretty similar, which I think is a shame because you don't get this, except for clay with Nadal, you don't get the same specialists on each court. See, I think clay and a little bit little bit of grass, but I don't think as much. Clay is very weather dependent. Yeah, obviously, I think both today, if you get wet grass and the skids a lot more. Mm, which you're probably not really, in the professional game, you're not going to really play on it, but. No, well, there you are, yeah. I mean, in, in the yeah, in our game. Clay, yeah, I think. Well, you get a really hot day, it's going to be a lot quicker. Whereas and it's it? hard to grip them because mm. it's so dry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Spurs, you can't slide as well, are really going to struggle. So. Well, because other court surfaces, because it started off when tennis was a little bit more professional, you started off with your grass, your clay, and concrete courts. Concrete. Have you ever played? Yeah, it? concrete. It's awful. I well, it's like concrete it. and tarmac courts. I hate it. I can't oh. play on it for the I but find it disgusting because most, which I think is a really big shame, but I sort of understand it. Schools have the multi-purpose sort of sports area, and they have all sorts of different lines, and it's always concrete, and they always use it as the tennis courts. The only yeah. other school I've been to where it hasn't been concrete. Um, was one near us, Wilmslow High, where they were put onto the AstroTurf. Right. So it wasn't as bad. But concrete, you just... There's no response from the surface at all. No, it just bounces high. It just bounces high. There's no spin at all. The ball just... It's awful. I hear it. It bounces high, but quickly. The good thing about clay is it bounces high, but slowly. Mm. If you get time, when it bounces high, it's quickly bouncing. It's so difficult to play on. Say because I'm quite a small, small character, small player. A petite man. Yeah, it bounces very high for me. Because <laughs> then the the only other one which isn't really used professionally anymore is carpet. Because there used to be like really big professional tournaments. You see like John McEnroe on carpet, and no one will ever win a car- carpet match ever again because they just don't use it. Thank God. <laughs> it's disgusting. I hate every minute of carpet. It is not responsive whatsoever. There's there used to be two versions at the David Lloyd that I work yeah. at, where there was the older one which was very quick and they had a different surface for the line. So if you hit the line, the ball would just fizz off the surface yeah, yeah. and you wouldn't get it. The other one was all the same material. It was all carpet. Spongy, um, though, wasn't it? It was spongy, so it was slower. Actually, there's another surface that I played on in Bradford. Oh, go on. And it was sponge. Sponge? It had holes in the court. It was How? blue and it had holes in the court. How did it bounce? The ball must have like hit. You think it's a bit bounced, and it bounced really fucking weird. <laughs> but it played, it played straight. It didn't bounce at like right angles. Barely exactly holes in it, and it, oh god, mate, you switchy sponge. See, because now hard courts are the main surface that sort of advance. If we're yeah. speaking in evolution terms, they've advanced quite a lot. Because now that, from what I see, like with concrete courts with the hard courts, it's like. A Proper hard it's acrylic, isn't it? Hard courts are acrylic. Courts. Yeah, they're acrylic reinforced with like a spongy yeah, underneath. base layer, yeah. which we've just had put in. Yeah. And they're supposed to be a little bit kinder on your knees, a little bit 
Easy to play. Well, I think, I think a, lot, all the, a lot of old people now say, oh, I can't play acrylic, it's bad for my knees, but to be fair, acrylic's probably better, better playing on acrylic than on AstroTurf. Depends, if it's the old, horrible AstroTurf, which yeah. you get all sports, five-a-side yeah. football pitches, then yes, it's terrible for your knees. Yeah. But the new stuff where it's a little bit thicker, True, yeah. I think is all right for your knees. But to be fair, tennis as a game isn't very good on your knees. That's true. You've got a little mile to change in direction. I, I'm waiting for the day where I've got to go for an operation to have my knees done if I stay with this career for another 20 yeah. or so years. It's going to come. It will come. Um, but yeah, there's been loads of advancements making it soft, making it softer. Because you get different speeds of hard court now. I remember when when the courts were first put in at the time I was playing, like, they were slow. Yeah. And you could feel it on the court that it was very gritty and the ball would hold. Yeah. But as you played on them more, they changed a bit more. Yeah, they got, got courts to take a while to set in. Hmm. I like a slower court. No, I like a slower court as I well. I think it's you can, longer rally. I, my game benefits a longer rally than a shorter rally. So it's, I, I love clay. Love clay and clay. Suits my game. Spinny, slow. See, I, do you know what? It's probably quite horrible, but uh, the club that we both work at, Presbury, the, there's two sections of Astro Court. Do you find them completely different? One's a bit faster than the other. I think the new ones are slightly. I don't play matches them often, but I'd say the new ones are slightly slower. But again, that's because they're older. They're newer, I mean. So See, set. I looked. I looked at them the other day, and just just so sort of little I had going on in my life, and how sad I was. I looked at them both, and some of the older ones didn't have as much sand on it so it played so it played quicker and it skids off the surface a bit more whereas the other two had a lot more sand on and from the looks of them they were both the exact same material being used i think it's probably the same material but it's worn down mm, might be i think sand obviously the amount of sand you use does make a difference like i remember i was, I was doing a, i was doing a hitting session i went to slide and there was no sand yeah and you yeah. just stopped I, just, I nearly i went flying pretty much my feet I was looking not like literally applying them to give a court. This is a bit of a health and safety issue. But then we've got these artificial clay courts that we're using in England now, which is diabolical. Hey, the, no, they need to be, for them to act a bit more like clay courts, it needs to be properly thick. But after they've been used quite a while and people have dragged they them never, quite a few. They never play that role clay. They, I've never gone to an artificial clay court and gone, oh yeah, this place like clay. They don't, they're useless. I absolutely hate and I reckon it's probably more expensive though. Probably is. They're, they're perhaps really better to put hard courts down. Because the thing is, when they actually chucked it down anyway, you can't play on the clay courts. I've, do you know what? Do you remember the discussion we had about when you were in America yeah. and you came back and you thought, oh, they're going to be flooded and yeah. they're completely dry? Lloyds, they dry really quickly. Yeah, I think, new, I think since you're new acrylic, they dry ridiculously quickly. Cups will be better. Because the thing is, hard court is probably, apart from clay, in England, I'd love to play on hard court. Hard courts, I love. I think it's a consistent balance all the time. It's just because it it's, it's better. It does what it says on the tin. If you want to put topspin on the ball, the ball will put topspin. If you want to slice the ball, will slice. Yeah. It's a very responsive surface, which is why I like it. Yeah, I love. I mean, yeah, hard court and clay my favourite. Grass don't get you don't get spelled much around here. Astro, you need just because we're in England and we need that all weather sort of court. But obviously, I'd get I'd honestly get rid of artificial clay and put hard court down. It's cheaper to maintain. You just yeah. need to blast it with a power. You need someone to come and clean it every once in a while. I think that's yeah. the main thing with any court, really. You just got to clean them. Yeah, but, you know, 
the clay you need to get new clay down all the time. So, oh, so at Leeds Beckett we had um, the red grey clay. Oh, and I've seen I've never played on this and I've seen pictures of it. Very very slow, extremely slow mm. compared to red clay. And wow, it is really really slow. I love it. I can imagine you just grinding out shots. Yeah, again, I, I remember when I first played, I thought, oh, there's going to be a good red clay. I feel like I probably like it just as much. Shame more tournaments aren't playing it. Yeah. And to be fair, quite a few professional players have said that there isn't really much difference now with surfaces on the tour. They're all quite similar, fairly yeah. similar. The only difference with the clay is your footwork's different. Yeah. You're to hit and slide. Yeah. But to be fair, I was, I've watched some highlights and I'm determined I will watch it. This weekend, I'm going to watch the Ultimate Tennis Showdown. Right. So I finally found out where it is. It's on Eurosport yeah. for people who want to know who are interested in watching it. Yeah. I've watched some of the highlights, and even on a hard court, they're sliding. I can slide on a hard court now. My, 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 ankle, my ankle won't take it. You've got to be very confident with sliding, because you know how I am. Yes. I will slide all the time, if I can. But yeah, I can do it. I'm not amazing at it. I, it's taken me three years to learn to do it, mm. to the stage I've got. But yeah, you've got a lot of, because obviously you need to allow your foot to go. A lot of people just get stuck. you got to, I don't know how to explain it, but you've just got like... I feel sorry for your shoes. Yeah, I need new shoes all the your time. Your shoes will... I remember was playing at my university. I went through knee trainers all the time. Carpet courts, when I constantly played the carpet courts, it was just wearing them out just because of the friction on it. I can't, there's one court I can't slide on this carpet. Impossible. I have to say, I'd probably say, unless you've got carpet shoes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And normal. they're ridiculously hard to find, yeah. by the way. And they all could be. Mm. You just need an old pair of shoes, right? Yeah. You cannot properly slide on carpet. So, a few little facts going in. So, we know that we started off with wooden rackets, and they were pretty much used up to the 1970s. Yeah. So, it's that. Um, and then, metal rackets, they have been around since the 19th century. Yes. But with the metal being used, it's probably very hard metal, so you don't get a lot of feel from it. It's very heavy, and it's probably quite expensive, I would have thought. Especially, because it's probably going to be cast, I would have thought. Yeah, I imagine, yeah. But then, little name plug, they started being used a lot more in the 70s. Uh, and were famously endorsed more by Jimmy Connors. Jimmy Connors was one of the first sort of big players to use a yeah. metal racket. Uh, and then we move on to the graphite rackets. Yeah. Uh, which the first person to use a hundred percent graphite racket. Any guesses? Well, guy that in front of me, so <laughs> don't need to guess. <laughs> Quite an unusual one. I. It Arthur was, Ashe. was Arthur Ash. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought Arthur Ash. That's quite an in- innovator both with his racket equipment and his ethnicity. Yes. Um, but they became more popular in the 80s. And then today, I'd look at it, they haven't really changed that much. Well, I think what they've tried to do, it's a bit like um, it's a bit like the engine in the car. The premise of an internal combustion engine is pretty much the same as it was in the 1920s and 30s when we first had cars. What they've done now is perfected them a little bit more. Yes. And got a little bit more, so you can now get different varies of flexibility and stability with them. Yeah. So you can have, there's a wider range of different rackets you can have. Whereas before, and I can imagine this in like the 60s with wooden rackets, and then for the 80s and 90s with metal rackets, yeah. it was sort of 
you have this racket and it basically plays the same as the rest of them. Yeah, no, pretty much, I can imagine that. But, um, yeah, say racket style, there's such a variety of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Say, when I went to the USA from last year, um, there was a demo session where we could all go on court and try out all the different Wilson rackets. And, yeah, they land, land all the different Wilson rackets, um, all the new range, to be fair. But, um, yeah, I remember I tried, I tried out a few of them, and they all felt different. Like, generally, it's all so different. My favourite was the blade. The worst was that clash. You really didn't like it? There's, it mixed back this Wilson clash. really didn't like it. I just didn't have any... just felt like I lost a load of control. So my favourite was the blade, followed by the ultra. And then, obviously, I love the pro stuff, but it's just so heavy. It is very, very heavy. Do you, um, with the Clash, what headset was it? A hundred square inch headset? I can't remember what it was, but because the first one that came out, I know it was a hundred square inch headset. Was that whatever was around? Right? I don't remember the head size, but it was whatever was around. I think it probably was because they've now brought out a smaller head size, so a ninety-eight inch. I don't think that's going to help. I just felt the whole racket felt like it was going to break every time I hit a ball as well. Well, you have to string it really loose. Oh right. It's, okay. it's not got a very high. Well, that's why you don't lose. That's why you don't lose control as well. Really string. I don't even lose strings, you get a bit more power. It's like a trampoline effect. But you lose, the amount of, I just felt like every time I hit the ball, something was going to break, having the frame or the strings. And then I lost all control and confidence in how it's holding it. It's felt flimsy. I think a lot of ju- a lot of juniors seem to like it. Uh, being Maybe it's a good junior racket, but I can't see a player like Serena endorsing it. No. When the blade is what it is, it's incredible. The blade, because there's little bits of the clash now in the blade where it flexes a little bit more. It's always good having a bit of flex, but I think the clash has gone overboard. And like, obviously, I think they're replacing the clash, the, the burn's been replaced with the clash. Yeah. And the burn I, the racket. I never tried the burn, actually. It wasn't my favourite, but it was quite a good, good racket. I, it's, it's, from the looks of it, it was more of like a spin based racket. Yeah, like a head you get size. a bigger head size, yeah. It looked more like a bubble up. But again, I liked it. Uh, so I like them all so the Ultra is a nice racket so like the one racket I've always wanted to try um, is the Bubble Up Pure Strike it's the white the one that Dominic Team uses I've used that one it's a nice racket I remember when I bait bought it it's a pretty nice racket it's the, it looks like Bubble Up were trying to copy Wilson when they made that racket yeah. which is why I like it yeah and I thought it would be quite an interesting one to use right I think that's as much as we can talk about the innovation of rackets rackets and basic courses and equipment yeah shall we talk about clothing yes so in the beginning yeah this sounds like I'm going to start a story so if you looked at some of the if you just google like early tennis pictures yeah they look like from a man's point of view they look like they were about to play cricket is how I would describe them yeah it's very yeah very much so very, very formal all white Trousers, polo top, and a sleeveless sort of cardigan, woolly jumper type thing. Thing. Yeah, that's what I'd call it. One fancy running around and that. No, then obviously as the games become a lot more physical and a lot more active. Yes. The word we'll use. Obviously, the equipment's had to change. It's obviously got lighter with the change in technology. Yeah. Different materials. And what? Started wearing shorts. Yes. Apart from, do you remember when, um, sort of like 2007, 2008, where Rafa wore like three quarter shorts? Yeah, some of that. I hate that look. Awful. I hate three quarter shorts. Just not, not for me. 
It's it's my version of sitting on the fence. You either yeah. wear trousers or you either wear shorts. You don't go in between. No, it's like when you remember them that craze where you had them the zip up. Oh, unzip your your. Uh, you could always pair. tell. The I pair. had a pair. I remember as a kid. Oh. I, had a pair. I used to love them. <laughs> Well, it's just because it was like a gimmick. Yeah. You give a kid with anything with a gimmick, and they're gonna like it. Yeah. But yeah. The but it was. Um, Thank God, died out. If you see a grown man wearing them, you know he spends most of his time outdoors, rambling. Yeah. Going round all these different places on walks. Yes. It's. It's not a good look. No, it's not the best look in the world. Um. So obviously we've gone, gone from cotton clothing to more sort of plastic. Yeah. It's more polyester. Isn't it is it? more polyester, so it's lightweight. It's sort of. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't say it's probably easy to breathe because it's plastic, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah, but you get breathing water. Breathing yeah. water in that. So it's, it's you know you don't you don't get as hot. It didn't stick to you like cotton. No. Shirts. Obviously, no. I love training in my cotton shirts, but like yeah, yeah, when yeah, I play yeah. a match, you don't you want to be able to be able to breathe. You want to be able to be with cold. You don't want to be hot. So these breathable shirts. Do Speaking help. of clothing, at the end, we'll let I'll let you do a little plug for your. No. Yes. My friend Sam here has got a little clothing venture which we'll talk about at the end of the video. Yes. Um, yeah, so men started wearing shorts, got rid of the jumpers. Yeah. And then moving more into sort of, as you say, the polyester clothing. Yeah. Moving around a little bit more. I don't think there's really, there isn't really anywhere else I would have thought clothing can go. It's getting lighter. Unless, because you don't see this as much from the men's side. I mean, you've got you got Roger sort of going back to the old days, because I remember in the, I think it was about the late noughties at Wimbledon, he wore very formal, yes. classic look. Yeah. And then you had Rafa with sleeveless yeah. vests on and all this yeah. sort of thing. But the women's side seems to have had, had a lot more interesting history, because they started off by wearing pretty much a full dress. Yes. Heels. Well, you couldn't even see their ankles. Yeah, yeah, heels and everything. And then as that's got a lot more physical and a lot more high speed, the clothing's got a lot shorter. There's been a lot less clothing, really, I should say, being able to move about a lot. But there's been some very weird and obscure outfits worn by. I think that's just because, obviously, women's fa women in fashion, they try to bring like fashion designers into tennis. Which to a degree is fine, but I think sometimes they go overboard. Yeah, because I know my sister had um, an outfit that was done by um, Stella McCarthy. Yeah, I did ask her Stella McCarthy. I think uh, Wozniacki endorsed that quite a lot. Mm. And to be fair, they were nice. I remember one Shane Williams wore, that white one. There's like quite a, three a few. Quarter. There's quite a few that the Williams sisters have had. Because I remember the ones that Serena wore more, but I know Venus had a few. Yeah sort of faux pas I will say but I know Serena she had like the weird sort of three quarter thing as you were saying was, like, yeah bits were taken out of it yeah yeah uh, and then the one which do you know what I, looked very futuristic to me was that cat suit she wore in the front oh, of the show yeah yeah which to be fair I remember listening to an interview she talked about it when she had had a child and what she had very poor blood circulation yes, and the cat suit helped with the blood circulation, circulation. And yeah it makes sense which is quite an interesting thing to go at. Can you sort of change the clothing to improve blood flow, which is obviously going to help you wear like a tight, like when I go running in winter, I wear mm. my combat shorts underneath, underneath my Oh clothes. yeah, no, no, I, have, I have like thermal tops. And yeah, stuff I've got and you get, I think you get around it, she wears that one up his arm, doesn't he? 
it does have it does really have a good look. Mm. Um, so yeah, there is compression outfits sort of out there that do help. But yeah, I think sometimes fashion journalists can take it a little too far. There were, there are quite a few. I think hours. was it um, was it Burditch? He went to H and M. Oh yes. And it was horrendous. No, I remember seeing that. It was horrendous. But to be fair, some of the designs are a little bit. They look. The only way I can describe is that the fashion designer for the for it's mainly the Nike ones that I see the problem with. Yeah. Where they look like the designer was on acid. I think Nike are very much out there with terms of trying to they test the boundaries. Adidas know what the boundaries are and mm-hmm. we're sticking in the limits. Nike was trying to push them. And so I've always like, found that because we'll move we'll move on to shoes because shoes I think is where there's been quite a lot of innovation. Loads, yeah. Um, and I always see, I always really like the designs of Nike compared with Adidas, but Adidas as a shoe and the functionally for the purpose it's meant to give, I always prefer them more. Yes. I always feel like with Nike ones, the soles a little bit too thick. However, I had the, um, what do you call them? I think they were called something core shoes. I don't know Nike, I don't know Nike that one. They'll, they'll come to me later. Uh, vapor core or something. Okay. Um, where it was a very lightweight design, which I liked because usually before tennis shoes were very sort of bulky and like the barricades. Quite heavy. Barricades got better as they went on, but it's more like the K Swiss. Do you remember like K Swiss? Yeah. K Swiss where it was like a, it looked like a brick. Yeah, I used to have K Swiss. And they were. That's why I didn't like it. To be fair, they fit my feet really well actually, but they would. Even I went through a phase of having ASIC shoes as well, where I felt they were a little bit. I really use ASICs. Breathability, I thought they were really good, but one I thought the design was a little bit meh, and yeah. I, I just didn't like the form yeah. around it. So I've sort of settled because I went through a little bit with Nike, and there's still quite a few designers out by them. But Adidas, I've sort of settled with now, and I know you've settled. I've settled by that since I was a kid. Hmm. I've been, I like, I mean, I've liked, I used to go when I was a kid at the barricades because that's what they're known for. And then I think they've got the got the Addis areas now, which are great. And you've got Ubersonic. And then you've got the ones that have replaced the barricades at the Soul Court. The Soul Court, yeah. Um, I think they're great. I love I love Ubersonic and Addis Zero because they're so light. But they I, are. I, I've got Addis. My other ones they need to replace. I'm going to buy some actually. It looks like a gym shoe, and yeah. that's 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 not meant as a dig at it. That's yeah. just showing how light. They're the very is very now. light, and it's great. Which for me, when I'm I'm running around the lot on court. Having light shoes is great. Because the sole the sole court ones, I wasn't too sure about it. But what I like about Adidas shoes is they've got their boost stuff in it, which yeah. is, stops the shock going through your legs and your knees. That's it, yeah. And it's what I like, and just little things like that. When yeah. you're on court for eight hours a day, you want something that's sort of going to help a little bit. Hundred percent, yeah. Um, but what I liked about them, they had a little. So on the outside of the shoe, they had a little wedge. So when you're trying to push off, it gives you a little bit more of a surface area to push uh, off, okay, which yeah. I quite liked. Um, but the way for the future of shoes is um, no laces. I hate the idea. Because Ad- Adidas have brought out this shoe that has no laces and is supposed to fit to your feet. I don't like the idea of it. I like the idea of laces. The thing, I think the thing with it, and the, little, the idea I quite like, because I quite like it when you can just slip on shoes. I've got some Adidas gym ones where you just slip them on. Right, yeah. The idea I quite like. The thing I don't like with a lace, you've got something physical 
tied round it. You've yeah. altered it so it's not going to fall off. Yeah. It's that feeling if I push off something, is the shoe just going to fall off? Yeah. Exactly. But the thing from what I've heard is it's almost the opposite where they put it so it's, it's not easy. I wouldn't say it's hard to get them in, but you have to force your foot in. Right, okay. Um, and it gets to the point where a bit like if you put a baseball cap on a little bit too tight it sort of starts hurting yeah. your head it's that same feeling with your feet where your feet feel really compressed yeah I can't have that I don't I, yeah and my, the way my blood circulation goes I don't think having that it probably like my foot will fall off but like no circulation to my foot so I don't know I like my laces I'm not sure how tight they are I think I probably will get I don't um, even want to coach them Hours. No, that's the thing that I think. I think, I reckon if you play like a match for like an hour or two yeah, hours, right. you'll be fine. But it's I think unless I probably will end up getting bored and probably buy a pen and put them, put them through and just see what they're like. Yeah. Just from the idea of trying them out. Yeah, true. Can't knock it till you try it. Uh, any other items of clothing that I haven't talked about? Tell you what is quite annoying is the classic sort of sweatband look has gone really. What were you wearing on the head? Yeah, it's... Yeah, I used to have head sweatbands for the wrists, but no one really wears them anymore, do they? No, not particularly. They're not as, sort of, like, fame... No. ...fluffy ones. They're sort of quite discreet now. Yeah. I think I'd stop wearing mine because of the tan lines. <laughs> That's true. But then again, a watch does that for you, anyway. Yeah, but a sweatband one was huge. Oh, no, I can imagine. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think that's about it for clothing. Yeah, so I think clothing's been quite drastic. It's just become really more practical. Yes. Where it will go in the future, I don't know. I think this thing with laceless shoes is either going to be a gimmick or it's going to actually catch on. Yeah, I'm not for it at the moment, but I haven't tried it, so, you know. Don't knock it till you try it. Exactly. It's probably the bottom of the go. So, the next part is sort of... This could really be a topic in itself, really, which is... The change of image of tennis. Yes. Because originally it was seen as a sort of quite an affluent, well-off, almost rich sport for the upper class. Yeah, but I think there's a lot of that still around it, especially in the older generation who still play. I still think it's definitely a middle-class sort of sport. You don't get many working-class families playing, mm. just because I think it's still quite expensive to play. Well, the LT are trying to, to be fair to the LT are trying to come by that. Cause the I think there's only so much, there's only so far you can go with it because the racket's yeah. not going to be how much racket is. Some entries are always going to be expensive. Well, if you don't mind me asking, do you remember how much your last racket was? So you did retail around 250 300 but I've got a guy who's got, got him a cheaper head ambassador. So. Got, got it off him. Um, so for a lot of point, I got my, well, it was two rackets, £150 each, but they, they retail at 250 Yeah. Because I got um. That's a that's a tall racket. Yeah, so I treat I treated myself to the new blade and I got to a custom paint job on which was nice. I think they were about similar sort of hundred and fifty between hundred and fifty and yeah. eighty pound each. So it it's it's not cheap. No, and so the RTA and you know all these company bodies can make it cheaper, obviously with access to courts, but balls they need to be replaced. And you can't buy the cheap ones you buy off your dog. No. Because you need to go to balance. And then, you know, if you want to progress, and yeah, you need to have coaching lessons. The coaching lessons are what they are. They're getting more expensive, not getting cheaper. 
as we, as we, we, we both know. As we like. both know. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, yes, they are taking, uh, they need to try and make it cheaper, but it's only so far they can go. The thing with football is as well, you can buy a pair of boots and they'll last you a fair, fair time. I think with a tennis racket, especially when you're a kid, they don't last as long. Yeah, we've, we, we touched upon it with the mini tennis where you yeah. sort of, you'll go through a racket like a pair of shoes when yeah. you're a kid. Yeah, exactly. But once it doesn't really fit you, you'll move on to the next one. I'd say, yeah, then you get all the accessories which come with tennis, well, like the racket bags. I've got my, my racket bag in there that mm. I use as a junior all the time. And you need them ready to carry rackets around. You need to, and then there's other things that you probably need because if you're fairly transport busy. as well. Yeah. So two, you know, two main menus, you know. I used to go up and down everywhere. Do you think it's got better and it's a little bit more sort of the sport of the people? It's more open, but it's still a lot of that kind of privilege sort of. There is, I've to be fair, the way that I think clothing has helped a little bit more, and I've seen this, and especially with personalities as well. Yeah. I think it's become a lot more. This sounds cheesy, but a lot cooler to play tennis than it was previously. Yeah, no, there is. I remember at school. I remember at school in lower years. I remember people thought tennis was a bit of a girly sport. Yeah. Which I, I never understood. No. Because you had people like Pete Sampras. Even look at Rafael Nadal now. Yeah. You just think these are athletes. Here. It's not a wishy washy. I think it's about if we easy to put. I think it's the same with golf. It's easy to put it into bracket of our. Is a, it's not a proper sport. I'm going down to the country club to go yeah. play tennis. But now, especially in tennis, I think the amount of physical attributes you need to play it. I think this is it's also where people as well, if you look at like personalities like Nick Kyrgios, John McEnroe to yeah. an extent as well, where it was sort of, because he was more like sort of that, how can I describe it? That sort of gritty, almost punk yeah. character made it a lot more desirable and watchable. I also think tennis is you need to play it all the time to be good at it. Football's this easy. I think in terms of I could go down, I mean I play football anyway, but when I was, anyone could go down to park, kick a ball. Anyone can kick a ball. Yeah. Not everyone can hit a topspin forehand. No. And get tennis, it. And get around and get in. Tennis is a lot more technical and Unfortunately, with football, football you're pretty much only concentrating on one part of your body at a time. You're either yeah. focusing on the lower half of your body, or if the ball goes up in the air, you're upper half of your body. Yeah. When you're playing tennis, you've got to do different things with all parts of your body, and that's where it's. I think people get lose interest because it's hard. Yeah. You have with football as well, or you're using what you're using your body, which is there. There's no extension. Racket is an extension yeah. of your body, which is an added thing. It's, in, it's difficult. It's hand-eye coordination. Which you've got to practice that a lot. It does take a lot of practice. Because I think people lose interest if they can't do it because of laziness. Well, it's... I think that's, that's when you need more people to sort of encourage you a little bit more. But no, I get, I get what you mean. And it's... I think it's, de- it's definitely a lot better, especially with, as I say, the characters in the game now it's a lot more sort of relatable for people to watch people aren't they don't all talk like this really no. they go through their interviews I thought wrong yes it's changed now you've got all different sort of accents different yeah, backgrounds yeah. it's a lot more sort of inclusive to everybody yes. no yeah 100% but it could do better 
I reckon you can still. Yes, but I've said there's only so far. Yeah. The LT, it's fair to them. There's only so far they can go. Until the natural things of lessons, tournaments, equipment come in, and that's where it becomes expensive. Unless you get sponsors. Very true. Which aren't easy to come by. Well, that was quite such a nice shuffle this week. We didn't really get into any rants. And no. So the next bit, which is probably the part of tennis that hasn't really evolved at all since the game was sort of finalised and this is the game of tennis. And that's the format of it. Because as we touched on before on the sort of the... As the um, All England Club created the rules of tennis, they haven't changed. It's sets, funny scoring of 15, 30, 40, juice... That's always been there, but there seems now, especially in recent years, they're changing, they're trying out different formats, trying to get more people interested. Yeah, trying that, that fast, the fast four format. What do they? you think of the fast four? When, when they first introduced it, and as a junior, every junior I played with hated it. We all hated it. It was awful. We liked the idea of playing the long game. It's like, from a junior point of view, you want to play the real game. And fast forward wasn't seen as a real game. I still don't think it is. No, and I think little bits of it, because what the fast four is, for people who don't know, is instead of playing your sets to six, you play them to four. Yeah. Um, and you've got other added things, like, I think, let, let's count. Yeah, let's play. count. And then it's tie-break at three, three or... Um, I don't know if they change tie-breaks to five. It rings a bell. Uh, might, might have done. I'm not, not too sure. But yeah, it's all the whole thing. I I didn't really enjoy it. I didn't enjoy playing it. Watching it maybe slightly different. I'm quite traditionalist and like I like the long. No, long I, I I think that's. I don't mind best of three sets because yeah. speak on the men's. I don't mind best of three sets with the ATP tour. Yeah. I think that's fine, but I feel like because the slams are so historic and the calendar is almost set around them. Yeah. I feel like there should be sort of a grandeur yeah. sense of people yeah coming to watch it it's traditional it's what we come to see it's the best of five sets you get these epic long yeah. matches I think that's the thing is the thing is that's different with tennis is obviously in cricket they've changed the format to 2020 because cricket test cricket lasted five days yes and it was extremely slow and extremely boring so they need to do something tennis yes it's a five set match can last three four hours but at least it's entertaining. It's just stuff going on. It's it's a lot higher pace. There's yeah. a lot more going on. It's not cricket where you bowl hit to ball, person captures it. Yeah. Right. The thing is, like in Test cricket back in the day, Test cricket is different now, and I love it. But like Test cricket back in the day, you might get one run every five overs. Mm. It's a horrendously boring. No one cares. No one cares about that. Twenty twenty, smashing the ball as hard as you can, having you know you know beer in the crowd, having like celebrations, or like changed the game dramatically and saved it because Test cricket at the time was boring. It's changed now from the instruction of that. Yeah, it's changed all the way through to the test game. But yeah, and tennis doesn't need. I don't think tennis needs it as much. Because you still you still get it now. Where the slams are the main things people watch. Oh yeah, and it's still best of five. Yeah. So I I I slightly agree with what they've done, where there's a little bit more of a conclusion in the fifth set where if you get to a certain number of games top or yeah it's a tiebreak tie yeah i like that because i think it's horrible if you end up with like a 2018 last set yeah you are spent and then yeah. oh you got to go and play next day yeah 
And he's like, what? Yeah, exactly. I don't think it's fair because then that sort of decreases the watchability of their next match. Exactly. Because yeah. you know it's more likely probably going to be a walkover unless you are some sublime athlete. Yeah, you mean that, yeah. But the interesting one, the latest one, and this is why I really am hell-bent on watching it, is the Ultimate Tennis Showdown format. Right. For us, it's strange. Yes. But the way I describe it is it's a little bit more like, I like to think of it as like a video game. So what they've done now is the maximum match that, that it can last is one hour. Right. So we know now people's attention spans are getting less and less and less. Yeah. Because they want things instantly. They want it. Yeah. On. So an hour is sort of quite all right. You won't get the epic long matches, but it'll be more intense. That's the idea. Yeah. It's intense. So it's split into four quarters. So it's, yeah. a li- so it's a little bit like an ice hockey game. Yeah. Ten minutes per quarter. Tiebreak scoring. So you go for those ten minutes. Tiebreak scoring. If the scores are level, you play one deciding point to see who yeah. wins that set. Thunder. Uh, then, with the sets, say if it's like two, if it's say like two quarters all at the end of the hours match, you do this sudden death part where you have to win two points in a row. Yeah. And you alternate alternate the serves one right, point okay, each. Yeah. Okay. And. The other little things are 15 seconds serve time, so there's no 25 seconds, which is what the LTA, which is what um, the ATP, LTA, WTA have introduced, where you've got the shot clocks now. Yeah. Um, uh, you've got coaching timeouts, which I know we've both sort of yeah. quite a nice idea. And the other thing I really like, which I think is really helpful for the watchability of it, is on court interviews at the change of ends. Players will hate that. I reckon some players, some players will hate it, and I think it also depends on the commentator. Yes. I reckon some commentators will handle it better. Yeah. And will get a lot more out of the player. Others will probably ask the completely wrong question. And well, others. John McEnroe, Boris Becker, ex players will be great. But even that, I think you can get someone like Andrew Castle coming in, and it's annoying the hell out of the player. Asking ridiculous, stupid questions. Asking a stupid question. The ones I've heard from. The players reacted to it quite quite well because the sort of the showpiece for the UTS um, is Stefano Sipsipas. Right. And I've listened to some of his on-court things, and they're quite humorous, to be fair. Yeah. Some of the things are quite good. And I'm, as we said before, big advocate for coaching on court. I think. Yeah. It adds another level to the game. Yeah. Your understanding of the game is a lot better, and you can learn more. So you can understand the tactics. I think the one thing I don't like and I think tennis could learn a lot from football with this is there needs to be more statistics in the game there needs to be more statistics available to people in the game who are yeah. interested in that sort of thing who want to analyse these things especially from a coaching point of view which we'll touch on a little bit after this with the evolution of coaching yeah it's there needs to be more because with football now you've got expected goals you can figure out how to play in a certain way to maximise your chance of scoring. Yeah. With tennis, I think it needs to be certain things like this. There's there's sort of laws or things that we go by with coaching when you're teaching a person, like hitting cross-court is a high percentage shot than hitting down the line. Yeah. For certain ways and all these sort of things. Coming in and approaching the net, 
go down the line a bit more, it's a little bit safer, all these sorts yeah, of things. Yeah. But you don't have the statistics really to back it up. You can't really just go onto a certain website like you can in football and just bring out a load of stats. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. And it has got better because you see it with all the graphics, you, see, you get all the, like, the heat maps yeah. where players have put their first, second serves, where they, where they hit most of their shots, where they're hitting the winners from. Yeah. But I think there's still a little bit more that they could do and just make them widely available for people. Especially for coaches. Oh yeah, from I think from a coaching point of view, it really helped because I remember hearing, um, I think it was um, Nick Lawrence, one of my level three tutors, where he was talking about Andy Murray. Andy's got this thing where he'll want everything almost sold to him. Yeah. He won't just say right. I want to change your back and take back to this. He'll want to know why, and he'll want to know the facts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so having these statistics available. Yeah will help make better players. And 100%, yeah. So I think that's one little area I reckon they improve. But from the format point of view, what, what do you think? Because this is sort of like the first time you're hearing the... Yeah, the I think that could be, it sounds interesting. As long as that, it's a... I won't say one I've got a lot, as long as it doesn't affect tournament... As long as it's a new tournament thing, not a... I don't... A widespread thing. Yeah, I don't see this entering into Wimbledon any time. I don't think it will. I think... Um, from the looks of it, the slams have changed a little bit with the format, as we talked about, sort of having a bit more of an abrupt end to them. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I agree with that. But, but this is completely new format. Yeah. As long as it stays to do tournaments in the spot. I think it could be a little bit like, because there's little things popping up now where you have like the Labour Cup where it's. Yeah, obviously, yeah, like that. I think. Yeah, as long as they're separate tournaments, they don't clash with the big master tournaments either, either. Fine, I back it. It should be, it'd be quite fun to watch. I think it'd be really. I think watchability would probably. Yeah. You'd be most engaged with it. Yeah. From a spectator's point of view, and that's really the main thing yeah. when you're selling professional oh, yeah, sport so. is the watchability of it. Yeah. Which is why the Premier League's done so well because yeah. it's made itself the most exciting. Yeah. Un- unpredictable league. Yeah. All gibberish they've come out of the mouth. Hmm. Um, but. But from format point of view, I think it'd be good for the game to have different formats. I think having different competitions, like if it was, like as you said, if it was a standalone competition. Yeah. I think it'd be quite good to have. I think it'd be very good for people to have a gateway into watching tennis. Yes. And then build on to it. Yeah. I think, that'd be, I think that'd be quite good. Yes. The more variety, the more people you're probably going to get. If anything, if you've got one single thing, then you probably ain't going to attract really one type of person. Yeah, no, that's true. If you have different sort of formats, it may get confusing for players, but then you might get players who are better at a certain format than another. Oh format. yeah, you will do, yeah. 100%. So it makes for a more interesting watch. Yes. The last bit that we will focus on is the changing technique, and we'll cover the coaching first, and then we'll go on to the individual shots. Yeah. So I think the only. How do you think coaching's really changed? Because have you experienced changes when you were little? Every coach is different. Um, in terms of the coaches, I think coaches always cater towards me when I coach. Um, in terms of, except for one maybe, but like the not, not I've never had that really strict coach. Always have coaches who have fun and court and stuff, and you know very much heavily rally based. You know, not much basket feeding. I didn't. I never did many basket feeds and enjoy it as much. I was always heavily 
trained on rallying, rally, 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 rally. Um, it's not certainly for coaching. I don't think, from my point of view, from what I've experienced, it's changed much. It might have changed more for you because you started younger. Because you probably read, you probably recognise the difference being coached as a kid. Mm. Uh, I'd say the main thing with a tennis coach is that most of the ones that I've worked with and have is they've all had quite a good personality. Yeah. They've all they've all had they're all characters. That's the main. Yeah. I don't think it's like in football where you had sort of quite authoritarian. Yeah. In the eighties, nineties, and it's changed now. Yeah. I think tennis coaches have always been sort of quite light with how they treat people. I think you still get it, especially when you get more to a performance stage. Yeah. Where it gets serious, but there's still that sort of element of fun with it. Yeah, hundred percent. I think you've got to have that to retain the player to keep them interested. Yes. Uh, but this is the thing with football, you're teaching a team. Yeah. You have your own philosoph- philosophy, and it's almost your philosophy and your attitude suits the team that you're working with. Yeah. That's why you get certain managers who don't work in other places because the team doesn't like the way the person's coaching, yeah. so they move on to the next team. Whereas with a tennis coach, You've got to change your personality and the way you act to suit the person because you're teaching the individual. Yes. So I think tennis coaches should and pretty much are very good man managers of people, 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 a person's person, sort of people, people, person, yeah, person's people. Yes. Um, so I think that's where because it is a more intimate relationship because you're working one to one most of the time. Yeah. With these individual, you never get an individual football lesson really. Very rarely. Yeah. It's group. It's group. Yeah. The only the only way I can slightly argue it is goalkeeping. Right. That's from personal experience. Yeah. You have the goalkeeping coach because it's a specialist position. Yeah. Um, that but other than that, the only thing that will change now in the future, I reckon, with coaching is the help of technology. Oh yeah. Technology has made coaching a lot easier, especially if you're trying to get a little detail. And it's very good from the person's point of view because I know, don't know what you think about it, but filming, pu- amazing. filming pupils at slow motion, showing them where they are, and then getting a video of someone else what recreating what you want them to do. It's quite new in tennis. I mean, golf has been around for years. I've heard that yeah, because like when you try out. Golf is just everywhere now. I'm like, we have a studio where I play. The cameras are fixed in, and they, I think it's a lot easier in golf because you're literally staying still. You're static. In in tennis, it's harder. You need to set up. You need, as a coach, you need to be able to consistently hit the ball in the correct place. Um, but I think that's where it helps because we've had when we're filming some of the sketches and yeah, what have you, the technology that we've used has the ability to track, track the person. Yeah, I think that's. Nice. So it, it, I think it help, it's going to help relax coaches a little bit more because when obviously when you coach at the moment you've got to be able to hit a ball and then quickly look at what you, you players yeah. doing they're concentrating your ball strike again quickly look what they're doing but you have to just hit the ball hit the ball hit the ball and go to the camera and go okay this is what's wrong it's going to help massively yeah it helps from the person understanding as well because you might demonstrate it yeah. And the person understands what you're demonstrating. Yeah. But they can't see themselves doing it. Yeah. It's, I think, being able to see what you're doing, it's a bit like looking yeah. in a mirror. Being yeah. able to see what you're doing, you notice a lot more. Oh, 100%, yeah. I think it can only help with technology. Yeah, the use of cameras, filming, huge, very important. Uh, 
so let's go a little bit more into technique. So, I managed to find so some very good videos and go through serve the one-handed backhand a little bit and then the forehand. Yeah. So what you've seen with the serve. So in the ninety, in the actually in the eighteen eighties, the first serve was an underarm serve. Yes. No bounce, just underarm serve. Yeah. Then we go into the nineteen tens. It's sort of an overarm abbreviated serve. You don't get. It's a very quick, fast okay. motion. Then we go into the nineteen twenties where you get a little bit more. You get a full, more fluid, full yeah. overarm serve. Yeah. Thirties, it becomes a little bit more. Comes faster, you go into that sort of classic trophy position, okay, yeah. and now we get all these different styles. We got the footwork, which is a lot more. You get either have your legs parted, or you either either bring heel yeah. to toe, and all these sorts of mesmerizing things. And you get the tape backs are becoming. There's quite a few people now I've seen with abbreviated tape backs. Yeah, straight up in this position. Yeah, I, I like the fluid motion of. You know, the parting of the hands, you know, back, you know, racket right behind your back, mm. and then from there it's like a stinger shot. Yeah, I like that's the serve I try and teach because I think you get a lot of power from it. I think I like that because it, one, it's the fluid motion, so you're able to build up that momentum. Yeah. Um, and it's just a lot easier on the body rather than if you're doing all these jerking, jerking motions. Actions, yeah. You're putting more strain on the joints and yeah. whatever part of the body you're using. The one-handed backhand, there hasn't really been a lot, wasn't really a lot of change. It's sort of similar to the serve where it was quite abbreviated, where it's more yeah. of a push. Then when you get to people sort of like John McEnroe where they, and um, Ivan Mendel where they're extending yeah. the swing through a little bit more. Now when you get to people like Stan Wawrinka and Dominic Team, yeah. there's so much more biomechanics oh, yeah. in there. They're creating so much spin with this. If you can put, that's why I think because they're both Swiss and they always get compared to each other because they've got one-handed backhands. When you look at Stan's backhand compared to Roger Federer's backhand, Stan's technique-wise, yeah. there's a lot more to it. Yeah. And especially if you look at... I always like to use Dominic Team's backhand as sort of like a guide for anyone learning a one-handed backhand. Yeah. Because it's so definite and precise. You right. can clock the different parts of very swinging. Yeah. It's almost very mechanical. Yeah, but very fluid, so you can pinpoint where each thing is. Yes. The interesting thing about him, he went from a two-handed backhand as a junior and transitioned to a one-handed backhand. So the thing that he does, which is quite interesting, he has a little bit more of an open stance right. when he does his one-handed backhand, so he yeah. can engage his hips a little bit more. Yes. So he gets that added bit of spin. Okay, that's, that's interesting. interesting. Yes. Um, two-handed backhand, as I said at the start of the podcast, there wasn't not really a lot no it started and looking through old footage it's almost started with Bjorn Borg because okay. he took the racket back with two hands and then pretty much as he made contact would let go and go with one. Oh right okay yeah. but now you'll get you'll get a lot more kids doing a two-handed backhand rather than a one-handed backhand because the benefits are it's just a little bit more stable yeah especially when the young you know, as powerful takes as one hand I think obviously on that second hand it's Get more control over it. Yeah. So yeah, I always do for. I think also again rotation. You do hands, you got to rotate three more. Yeah, I agree with you. There's a little bit. I did this actually. 
you can get a little bit more rotation. However, you've got to make sure that your feet are correct. Yeah. I did a really, really good lesson yesterday with a lad, and I was teaching him when to use sort of more of a neutral close stance in his yeah. backhand compared with an open stance. Yeah. And I th- he found that very beneficial, actually. He yeah. looked like he enjoyed it. I don't know if he didn't say he enjoyed it, but he looked like he enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and then to the forehand, which is probably evolved the most, I will have, I'm going to say, technically, if you look at the itty bitty things, is where I'm coming yeah. from. So, from the forehand point of view, in the 1910s, because I saw pretty then it was pretty much the same, very short, flat swing. Yeah. It's almost like the push like what we would teach, like toddlers and yeah. mini red kids to start out on. Coming to the 30s, Similar to the one hand back end, they developed more of a bigger swing. Yeah. Uh, and created a little bit more topspin. They started getting a little bit of topspin coming over. Right, the way. Yeah. But now, we sort of get, we go to the modern one. The modern one, you get more use of the wrist. Yeah. You're getting more topspin. And you sort of get these nice sort of take backs coming through. You get a little bit more of the looping action. Now, with these next gen players, Take back and the whole swing really is so compact. Yeah. There's so much Yeah, it's awkwardness is how I the elbow goes in and it's very flat on the The one that I always like to look at is Nick Kirios. So when he takes the racket back, his elbow yeah. back here. Yeah, it looks uncomfortable to be honest. It looks really uncomfortable. And I feel like you might get a lot more injuries with it. Yeah. I'd say that's with the men, with the women, I think it's still much so very much uh, wide take back behind the literally behind the back and then coming in roasting well this is the lap. technical teaching point that i always have the distinction with boys and girls when you teach the basic things we teach to take a racket back yeah is take it back level with your body yeah you look at the women's game they're taking it far back far, so you can yeah. see the racket protruding behind the back yeah it's also bad mechanics yeah because you know a man won't be able to do that as well as one can no, women do it much better. In terms of the big swing, they're coming back in because a massive slap of power. Again, that's the women's game being built around the flat game, wasn't it? Yeah. So. Well, as we've mentioned in the last podcast, it is getting better, and people are doing more. Yeah. With it. But yeah, no, it's um, yeah, games evolved a lot, obviously. Is. I mean, obviously, it will evolve again, but it's hard right now to imagine where. Yeah, you. That's like that's like anything. We can't really imagine what it's going to be, what would be the next thing to sort of take it up to another level, what's going yeah. to advance the game on a little bit more. Yeah. I think the main thing that's advanced the game is the technology. Yeah. The technology of the rackets, the clothing, the courts. Yeah. Being able to coach with the technology as well. Mm-hmm. All of it has advanced because of the technology. The technique has changed because technology's changed yeah, with it. You've it. had different rackets. Yeah. You're working on different surfaces. Exactly. Than you what you were even twenty, thirty years ago. It's um we just don't know what the technology will be that will push it on to the next phase. hundred percent. But it's exciting. It is very exciting. Which comes, speaking of exciting, coming on to our last point, we're going to talk about the greatest sporting memories, our personal greatest sporting memories we remember. Yeah. Do you want to kick us off with one? I think, yeah, I think my go-to all the time is that London 2012, the Super Saturday. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Mo, uh, Jess Ennis won. Jess Ennis Greg Rutherford won. Mo. And then Mo won. Most of his 10k. And obviously followed up on the Sunday by Murray winning the, the Olympics as well. So that weekend, to be honest, we had a super Saturday. I remember it. I remember it so, so well. Because no one was actually expecting Greg to win. No, they weren't. Um, I remember, I remember. So he won, and I was like, alright, okay. And Jess won. Obviously, she won the. Um, the post girl. Post girl won heptathlon, you know, record, British record, and all that. Then that that race with Mo Farah, I just remember he started. I think he started right at the back or something, and I was like, oh, no, what's he doing? And then like obviously that final two laps just came through the pack and just left them all. Just incredible. But yeah, so that's. I remember. I really remember the opening ceremony. I remember the opening ceremony. Every close ceremony, yeah, both of them were amazing. The thing is, I remember because we were maybe 14 or so, and it went on for a while. Yeah. It went on right into the night and what have you, and I thought, yeah. I don't think I'm going to get up to watch all of this, I'm yeah. going to be sent to bed. Yeah. But I managed to do that sort of like little thing that all kids do, so I've got to stay really stay still, still don't really me. still, really quiet, don't yeah. make a much they're just going to forget about me. Yeah, exactly. And it worked. Yeah. Um, my best sporting memory, and we're trying to keep, we're trying to keep it away from tennis, but we'll talk yeah. about tennis. Is the 2008 Champions League final? Yeah, yeah. For both of us, yeah. Both both of us are Manchester United fans, and we yeah. were we were born for the 1999 final, but obviously we don't remember, remember it. it. I remember, remember the highlights. <laughs> Watching um, them all the time. But I love. But I just remember that was the first. I remember that was the first night. I think I. I had like a little glass, like a thimble full of red wine. Oh, really? I mean, that's the first time I remember having alcohol in it. Oh, right. Um, I think. When the first goal went in, I was like, oh my God. Because that header is. Yeah. Because it's Ronaldo, he just for some reason he defies physics and yeah. jumps in the air. It's brilliant. But even then, like I am now, I'm a nervous wreck with it. And I, never, and I knew we weren't going to win. The one thing I don't remember is Drogba getting sent off. I don't remember him getting sent off. No, I don't remember that. I, re- I remember Frank Lampard scoring. Yeah. But then I don't remember him getting sent off. And then the rest of the match is sort of a little bit of a hazy blur. And then the penalties. <laughs> but I remember the penalties. John Terry. <sighs> I was there ready. I was like, oh my God, we lost, we lost, we lost, we lost. Yeah. And I was sort of looking through it with my hands yeah. and fingers over my face. And it was one of those moments that only the Lord Almighty could have come up with. The fact that he'd slip and hit the post like that. Uh, but I knew. I had that gut feeling when Anelka went up and yeah. took the final penalty. I sort of had it in my head. Like, He's going to save this. Yeah. He's going to be saved. And it was brilliant. Uh, yeah. um, other ones... More time specific, Andy Murray winning Wimbledon for the first time. I couldn't bear to watch the first two sets. Ha! I went out of the house and just went for a walk and just left it and came back for the final set. So the first two sets you were pretty comfortable. It was the first set that was the. Uh... I I always struck with it's always with I don't know if it's their gameplay and how they go about a match, but especially with Andy Murray and Rafael Nadal. Because I'm a little bit more invested in them because one's British and one's my favourite player. Yeah. 
I have that same thing with sort of Man United. I thought, why do they always make it so bloody hard to watch them? <laughs> yeah, no, right. Because even in the final game, yeah, he had about three championship oh, yeah. points, and then Djokovic ended up having break points. Yeah, think, bloody hell! Can you not just do this quite yeah. simply? Yeah, there's probably one clan. Do what you do. Um, no, well, yeah. The what? I remember one of my favourite tennis matches is Rafael Nadal versus Guillermo Monfils at Monte Carlo. Right. Love that match because I think that was it was the year after everyone thought Rafa had sort of lost it a little yeah. bit. It was that year when um, him and Roger just dominated everything. Yeah. And it was the start of the clay court season. I was watching it and I'm I think I watched pretty much every one of his matches throughout that and then you had that penultimate match against Gael Monfils. Yeah. And I just really, I got really, really heavily invested in it and I absolutely loved it. And the final point was brilliant. It was a classic sort of Rafa down the line forehand. Right, it? yeah. I love that. Uh, no. I'm trying to think of ones for other sports. See so last year with the Cricket World Cup. Cricket World Cup. Just me, I play cricket, but... Yeah, I think you were a little bit more... Invested in cricket. That was, that was the thing is that the Great World Cup was on the final was the same day as Wimbledon final. Mm. The F1 was on as well, but I don't care about F1 because I don't care. There's cars going around the circle, get over it. But um, yeah. it was more exciting in the 80s. In the 90s. Yeah, there's only rules on the F1. It's boring. You know, you get you get penalised for overtaking someone. <laughs> the whole idea of the sport, and you get penalised for it. You'd but, be pleased if someone overtakes. Yeah. It's like, oh, you overtook him. Oh, wait, no. He's got a flag. Why has he got a flag? He overtook him at the wrong point. What? <laughs> Is it right point? <laughs> How ridiculous. But yeah, no, it's too many stage rules in that one now. But yeah, that's another but then, I, It's probably one of my only positive memories with our national football team. 2018, England versus Colombia. Penalties. <sighs> <laughs> We should have won that game before extra time and penalties. Do you know what? The the one thing I can always remember about that game is how dirty the Colombians were. See, I was was, was actually at Wimbledon when that that match was going on, so I didn't actually watch it until the penalties. Ran to my mate's house to watch it in Wimbledon. Luckily, he lived like five minutes on the road from Wimbledon, so I sprinted home. (laughs) Well, I I I can remember both goals. Not much more I can remember, like with most games. Yeah. Uh, actually, no. One save from Pickford that was unbelievable. I remember that it was like a long-range effort that he tipped yeah. over the bar. That was brilliant. But I remember Harry Kane taking ages to take his penalty. Yeah. For England's goal. Because all these Colombians were just sort of standing on the penalty spot, just ripping yeah. it off. Yeah. You dirty swine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just leave them alone. Yeah. And then some of the language that came out of my mouth when Yerry Mina scored that equaliser was not again. Yeah. But then we got to penalties. And there was credit to Gareth Southgate for the way that he managed England there and the atmosphere he brought to it. It felt different. Oh yeah. It's much it's much better compared to it's you could see people I know people criticise Gareth Southgate's appointment by saying, oh, he's a yes man, he's an FA man. He's just, yeah. But he worked with the under-21s. Yeah. So the players that he had at 2018, he'd previously worked with in the under-21s. Yeah, so there's players. that joined-up thinking. Yeah, it worked well. It was good. 
But oh, that was a really, it was annoying. Cause we, oh, if Kane had passed to Sterling. Nah. All this, all the high. I don't, do you know what? I don't think we would have won the final because that France team was incredible. I mean, there was, you could have fielded their second team. It's why I didn't watch the final. I was so disappointed. I, wa- I watched it because I just wanted to see Kylian Mbappe. I was too disappointed. I didn't watch the third and fourth. Either. I didn't watch the third or fourth because I think that's a meaningless match. No one wants to know who you're going to win third or fourth yeah. in the World Cup. Pointless. It's pointless. There's no point to it. No. But anyway, yeah. Uh, I think we've come to quite a nice ending. Yes. That was quite. That was quite a bit. That went on a little bit longer than, than expected. Actually, yeah. A lot longer than expected. A lot longer than expected because we thought it was going to be an hour, but as you've yeah. probably seen in the final edits gonna be way over that way over that um but i think we touched on quite a few good points evolution of tennis it's pretty much all come down to technology really and the long story short we don't know where tennis is gonna go <laughs> next yeah apart from possibly laceless shoes yes brilliant <laughs> right um do you want to do a little plug for the clover thing oh yes i guess i can it's cool. hard to show it but um you could just explain. Yeah, so obviously, um, the guys that know, um, I've got my own clothing brand coming out, my own little range. Thankfully, I'm a brand ambassador. Yes, um, Tom is the brand ambassador. So um, we'll be, I'll be uh, posting some stuff up on, I'll probably put a link up soon to our website. and. Uh, You'll find, hopefully when this comes up, because I've done this with the previous podcast, uh, you could probably find it if you go over to his Instagram. Yeah. Which I'll put. I can add a link down below. Like yeah. If you want, I can always put the clothing's Instagram link down below as well. Yeah, that's good. Actually, yeah, do that. Yeah, we'll do that. And uh, yeah, website's going out in the next few days. Hopefully now. So you've work. only got um, you've got t-shirts, and you'll hope you'll have hoodies. Hopefully by the time it. Oh uh, yeah, everything, all the range is in now. I think pretty sure it's, it's between me and my business partner. So we I've got half the stock. He's got half the stock. Because he's got it all embroidered, all printed, and then. Yeah, hopefully next. So if you're looking for, on if you're looking for a trendy sports yes, where to to flock in the gym when they reopen on the twenty fifth of July yes, <laughs> please check out Evolution Sportswear yes, which I'll send a link down below in the description. Brilliant. Right. Well, cheers for listening, guys. Thank you very much, and hopefully we'll see you in the next one. Yeah.